What's up, guys? We're back with another um, conversation for, uh, surrounding racial relations in the U.S. Um, I'm Jay. These are our friends. You want to introduce yourselves again, maybe? <laughs> I'm Sean. I'm Gabby. Sorry. I'm Rebecca. Barry. I'm Ryan. And I'm Marquis <laughs> with a degree. Just saying. Oh, yes. My boy, educated. Love to yes, see sir. It. Love to see it. And Max, um, is, in, so Max is in Grand Canyon, so we don't know where he is. Oh, yeah. Max is on a yes, trip right now. True. Oh, well. Yeah. So, um, let's talk. I got some feelings, but let, <laughs> let's definitely <laughs> talk about, um, for me, for me, as of right now, I'm seeing a lot of, of, um forgiveness like is the first action that a lot of especially evangelical white christians will say at the first sign of any type of racial or political conversation and it's it, to me it really it really comes across as another all lives matter type of thing because that, that is not the only topic that's the whole situation um justice is biblical. forgiveness is also biblical um and, and, and Jesus got close to the people who were hurting. And so for me, it's like, like, like uh, we were, I mean, we were talking before this, but Marquise was saying like, you know, using pieces of the Bible to justify whatever you say, whatever you're, it's just very insensitive in my opinion. I don't know you guys. Yeah, like, like I had, uh, had said a little bit earlier, I wish we did the record button a second earlier, but I think that what everything <laughs> starts with is like at a very basic level is, um, the the second greatest commandment of all what what the lord said was love your neighbor as yourself and do unto others as you'd have done to you and for all you out there that are very strict as we like to say legalists and follow every letter to the law of every bible even if something isn't in a red letter you'll freak out but um you know you really need to take a step back and see what christ's message was at its core and about love and spreading unity and eating with the sinners. And obviously I'm not saying this whole movement is eating with the sinners, but Christ was with everyone. It didn't matter who he was with. He was with everyone. And that was, I think, what even his disciples to a point in time didn't even understand, but toward the end of his unfortunate death and, and sacrifice, that he was with everyone, that he uh, believed in true unity, Jews and Gentiles, right? I don't think that obviously this thing is as simplified as that, but that was pretty much the very conflicting time of the day was like, you know, um, Jews versus Gentiles and Christ was with everyone. Um, so I would really take a step back and encourage you guys to look at the love aspect of it and look at the unity aspect of his message. And, uh, as I kind of use these words earlier on a very basic level, um, bring respect and love into the picture. And would you want anybody treating you any different just because the way you look, I think that so many people, and then I'm going to shut up and let these other really intelligent people speak. Um, would you really feel okay with what's going on if this was happening to you? I, I preach this to the death and this is what something has motivated me is like, how would you feel if this was happening to you and your people? People don't think like that enough. White people don't think like that enough. If this was a systemic racism and this was a systemic problems that have been going on for hundreds of years, how would you feel? How would you react? How would you speak? How would you take action? So think about that before you, uh, make your Instagram post and, uh, post something hateful but that that's all i gotta say for right now i think a really i think a really good question to uh take into account specifically on this conversation is uh how we got here um i feel like <laughs> and obviously a, a lot of people will probably agree it's a very interesting time um not so much positive but i mean i feel like if you look at the, the flip side of the coin you can find some positive in it but um i feel like it's important to acknowledge how we got here and I personally feel like we got here um, based on a conversation that was had uh, based on documented history. And the conversation was, okay, how do we separate church and state? Um, I feel like that's the very root of the issue. A lot of people can't bring uh, their faith to work. They can't bring it into schools. Um, it's almost like you can't, you can't bring your faith out in public. And... Um, I think it's important to look at the very fabric of the society that we live in and to acknowledge the fact that the reason we have certain order 
in society is because of the rules, regulations, laws, whatever you might want to call them, uh, those different guidelines that we put in place. But we have to acknowledge that those guidelines were based off of something to start with. They came from somewhere. And they came from uh, the beliefs, the core beliefs and the core values of the people that wrote the Constitution, uh, the people that passed amendments, uh, people that passed legislation, whether white or black. Um, a lot of those key things based on how to coexist with other people, uh, it came from faith. So when we talk about how can we separate church from state, it's really a conversation of, you know, how can we separate a person from their spirit? And I feel like you see a lot of that going on. You know, there's not a lot of yeah. spiritual acknowledgement, you know, and that's a whole nother conversation that I feel like a lot of people are afraid to have, you know, when you yeah. see people um, speaking publicly. It's funny because I saw, I think it was mayor of New York. Um, I forget what phrase it was specifically, but I was watching him talk about his daughter got arrested. And I was watching him like publicly address like, you know, the public on that. Um, and it was interesting just to hear him talk about uh, the different aspects that were in his speech surrounding faith. It was almost like he was afraid to use the word God. That's kind of mm -hmm. how I perceived it. Um, but I don't feel like, you know, he's the only one. Obviously, there are millions of people. But I feel like we're in a time now where people are afraid to bring their faith out in public. And I feel like that's the biggest issue. Because without that, how do you maneuver in public? You, you kind of can't really. Kind of on that same note, like, what always brings me back when I'm talking to Christians about this issue, um, and for those of you who watch this video later, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe he came and died on the cross for us, um, for everyone, and I would identify as a Christian, and I also believe, because I believe the Bible is true, that everyone is made in the image of God, and that everyone, um, every single soul is eternal, and that every single soul bears some sort of representation of God. Um, no one has more than I do, no one has less than I do. And that determines how I interact with every single person. And when I'm talking to Christians about this, if they don't recognize, especially white Christians, um, their privilege or um, their role in addressing this, especially in America, um, I just, I, I like to start with that, um, that we're all made in the image of God and that's where we can begin with this. And how do we, how do we live in light of that, especially on a bigger scale, not just like person to person, but systemically. That is beautifully yeah. said. Thank you. Can I, I just want to like hop off of what you were saying. I was listening to this podcast this morning. It's called Her, Her Story Speaks and she had this writer on called Marcy Walker and she posed this very real and like deep question. Like the question is not um, for white people specifically is how, how do I help? It's not, how do I help? It's what do I, what is it going to cost me? What, what, what do I have to give up in order to actually be effective in my helping? Um, <clears throat> and she talks and they were talking or whatever, but she brings up, <clears throat> For especially white Christians, you're gonna, she says you're gonna have to give up how you see holiness and how you see Jesus. And she she poses these kind of examples as in like um, everything you have may not may not be, or like all the opportunities you have and all this stuff may not be directly because you prayed to God about it. Um, and I don't, I don't, I w I'm not saying that I necessarily believe that, but I am saying it, it did make me think. Um, and I think it should make everyone think like everything, you know, you, the way people have privilege, we, this is an accepted kind of fact. Um, and she leverages that against like Christianity as a whole. And I thought it was very interesting to think about that or believe about that. But that just kind of speaks to saying, I feel like Rebecca, I I I also am a Christian. Like believe what you like what you believe uh, theoretically, and um, it was just for me. I had to question myself too. Like, dang, like this sounds this sounds kind of compelling. I don't know you guys. Yeah, um, I agree hundred percent. And <laughs> um, I'm also a Christian. And I think actually, me and Perry were having this conversation. And one thing that he made sure to tell me all the time is that you're spiritual walk is a very personal one. So I feel like a lot of times where conflict comes 
with our religion is people will use it as a weapon. And it's because like a whole bunch of people are doing it. So kind of like in the past where like the church was in charge, but they would kill people who weren't Christian. That's wrong. But like at the end of the day, they were Christian. But it's like, if you really take into account your personal walk with Christ and how you actually view other people that he's created and view the world that he's created and then really work on your own faith, I think that's the first step with truly, you know, walking in your faith and making a change in this world. I think you can't just go to church and feel like, you know, you're good or just do what your parents say. You know, you need to have your own personal walk. You need to open up your own Bible. You need to talk to God for yourself. Um, Because at the end of the day, you're the only one that can talk to him for you. So I think- And then do something. Sorry. No, no, no. (laughs) Yeah. No, I love it. Take action. Yeah. No, like, like, and, and I like wholeheartedly believe that. And I think you need to do that before you do anything else. But I then, then, then you hear people also just stopping there. And I'm like, sure. faith without works is dead. You, you forgot that part, you know, like, and now, you know, people are saying like, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be protesting, whatever, like, and they're kind of coming against all the action. I'm like, what, what about faith without works is dead? Where mm-hmm. did that go? Where did that go with your forgiveness? Where did that go with your um, be angry and do not sin type of thing? You know, it's kind of, it's just, it's very insensitive, I think. And, and think and about this as well. Christ, when he was angered, went into the temple. And obviously I'm not saying rioting and burning and all that stuff's great. But Christ went into the temple with righteous anger. And there's certainly an aspect and an element to a little bit of righteous anger with the wrongs that's going on in the country right now. And the uh, horrific. Uh, things that are occurring there's a little bit of like good good um what do i say good uh, spirit to having a little bit of righteous anger and just a quick point and i want i want to hear from anthony and gabby they haven't said anything yet um when we were talking about and rebecca made this point and it just popped into my head when we get to heaven and again if you believe what you believe then so be it anybody else that's watching you know we we love and include all um your spirit is what's in heaven and your soul and that doesn't have color and that doesn't have um outward appearance that people judge and whatever the case may be. And that's where I think you have to understand and love at a core point is that everybody's the same, regardless of what they look, same inside, same in the heart and as a human and as in America and in the world and is fighting and doing whatever they can to uh, make a living, earn a wage, do whatever, you know, you want to say, but we are all the same inside, regardless of um, outer appearance. And, and I just, I hate that, that people judge based on that. And, and Christ did not judge on that. So if, if you people, you know, I'm very critical of the church at this stage um, with some hypocrisy within the church. Uh, how are you to judge on appearance and looks and actions and culture when our Lord and Savior did not do that and did not judge based on Jew, Gentile, beard, no beard, cloak, no cloak, uh, cripple, lame, uh, can run a marathon. Um, so that's just kind of kind of my two cents in that aspect. Well, and I think the real world example of that is like, I mean, at least for me, because I mean, I get on social media and I see all of these just bad things and I see, you know, videos that just, and I mean, they rightfully, they need to be seen, right? So I'm definitely not complaining that they're there, but the thing that I think at least that I've seen that's uplifted me in all of this is like, like even Christ said this when he was talking about judgment and everything, like be like a child. And the thing that, I mean, a common trend of stuff that I've been seeing is like, children don't see color. Mm-hmm. Like when you're little, like I saw this video of this little boy and his dad was showing him pictures of him and his friends or something. And um, he was like, well, what's the difference? And the little boy was like, oh, well, he's older than me. And he's like, no, but like, what's the difference? Well, he has nicer hair than me or something. like. And he just didn't, he didn't get it. And then you also see that trend all throughout the Bible where he's saying, like, be like a child, have faith like a child. Don't see the way that, you know, the twisted world does, like, just be a child. And I think that's, like, one of the purest forms of, like, loving your neighbor is not, is having that faith like a child and seeing through their eyes and not seeing color, appearance, anything like that. So... Yeah, I'm first off with that, like, 
I feel like as Christians, we should be at the forefront of this movement because we should be the ones fighting the like, We are all equal. We're all, like Rebecca said, created in the image of God. And even in, uh, I think it was Acts, where God like, sent a vision down to Peter, and he was like, listen, I've created everyone to be my children. It's not just Jews. So like, Jews and Gentiles, all of you are my children. All of you are who I made you all. So therefore, you should all you know, strive to get along and be united under me as Christians. Because like I said, because like he said, we're all white. We're all the same people under in God's eyes. Like he doesn't discriminate us by our looks, our race, our hair. Like he doesn't discriminate. And we should all be trying to fight for equality for each other. And we should all be trying to just like show show love. Like Ryan says, it's the second greatest commandment. We should just be loving one another. Like we like like you said, love one another. Like you love you love yourself. And we shouldn't be segregated and trying to like, oh well. That's good. You know, I'm just going to support from over here and not really say much. Like, no, as a Christian, you should be like, listen, yo, this is not right. They, you guys need to stand up for this. Everyone's equal. And that should be it. Because as Christians, that's what he's called us to do, to love. And there's not enough love in this world. And it's just sad. We're all brother and sisters. Like, if we're all, you know, created equal and in his image, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And why would you not? fight for your siblings like that's that's my biggest thing is like why why not a good example is uh the story of the good samaritan where he showed where there was the the jewish priest and then another jewish citizen the samaritan the, the jewish priest and the uh, citizen just walked by him but the samaritan said hey i'm gonna take you i'm gonna take care of you even though you're a jew and we know we're not we usually don't get along and like in uh in our world we're not supposed to associate together I'm gonna still show love and take care of you. And he took him to the uh, took him to the ho- uh, to the motel. Told him I will pay for whatever he needs. And that's just, that's just the greatest example of what we're supposed to be doing now. And and we'll actually we're gonna keep this going on. Uh, this is a phenomenal discussion. What I want to highlight about that Great Samaritan point is. The Great Samaritan is even better and a perfect example of what's going on today because they were from two different classes of people and two different – this was Jew and Gentile. This was like the equivalent of like during this movement of like white and black and helping all each other. That is exactly a perfect and beautiful story to say, Anthony, for that. That was literally like two groups that not hated each other but were pitted against each other in society and that society loved to hype this clash up of like, oh, well, this is this group versus this group. It's not this group, one group. We got less than a minute, so we don't know if this is going to cut off midway. <laughs> We're going to do part two. Part two in the chat, two. boys and so, girls. We're going to get Marquise. Marquise is going to lead us. Marquise is leading us into part two, baby. Come in. Come on in. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to part two of this um, second episode. The conversation was just so good from the last one that we decided to keep going. And it's going to be meshed together so well by Ryan that you won't even notice. And so... To kind of start this part off, I wanted to hit on something Ryan said a little earlier with the righteous anger and something about me personally. Like I, I used to really try not to be that black person in the room that always brought up race and whatnot and really let passive racism stuff like kind of just go by the wayside. It wasn't a big deal until I got to college uh, and I kind of ran into the issues myself like firsthand and really felt like I was discriminated against just because of how I looked and what my skin color was. And something that with men in this country, especially, but to be more specific, black men, there's a stigma of you can't show emotions. You can't be upset. You you can't cry, things like that. But those emotions are healthy and it's okay to cry and let stuff out. Um, Ryan talked about earlier the FedEx worker who had somebody, honestly, I consider it an attack. Somebody throw a drink at him and call him the N-word and slander him and whatnot. And he just got in his car and he just buckled down. Like, that's how hard it is to be <laughs> black in this situation, especially you're a black man and you look on social media, on the news, literally every week, somebody that looks just like you is gunned down or put in a cop car. And that's like what you see constantly. At some point, that's going to take its toll. And I know, like, 
for me, I, I used to hate crime, but there's a, something that happened at the University of Alabama was um, our dean resigned. Um, but when I found out the news, I was really close to him. He's an African-American man. And it's funny because the reason he had to resign was for honest tweets talking about police brutality. Um, and so I remember when I found out, I was just so, so mad and like confused about what to do. And I remember just going into the office of a really close friend of mine, uh, Duran, and I just buckled down and started crying because I didn't know how to exactly like process it. And so I just really wanted to hear from Perry, from Anthony, from Tyree, like, how do y'all see like men that look like us that you see all the time getting shot, dying, and it's teaching people that it's okay to be emotional. Like this is a really hard thing to go through. And not only from a black person's perspective, but it's hard for anybody to see a human gun down or to see all this pain and the struggle. So how are y'all feeling emotionally? Like we talked about religion, but how are your emotions handling it? Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, go ahead. Um, basically, like, I see a lot of people who are like, yeah, it's too much. I got to, like, check out. I got to, like, you know, like, uh, you know, de- de- like, desensitize themselves from the situation, get take a break from social media and stuff like that. And when it comes to, when it comes to stuff like this, I've, we've seen it all, like, we've all seen it all our life. We know, we know what this looks like. So we just kind of get used to it, to, to a sense and then when it gets to something like this, you just kind of get to like a, like a bowling point. And it's like, you either, when, when people get mad about the writing, it's like, what do you expect when you see this all your life? Like people don't, people don't think we see this all life. And it's just like a now issue. Like we've seen this all our life. And it just gets to the point where as black men, you, you can't, you, you're told you can't cry, can't express emotions. You can't be angry and be loud because then you're the fit the stereotype of you're the aggressive black guy. Especially it's people like, me like us who are kind of kind of taller, kind of bigger. Like you know, you can't you can't be seen as like a aggressive man because then you're gonna become become a threat. And when you're a threat, you're you're willing to they, they you know it's they see it's like it's okay for you them to respond in this way and gun us down because you know he was a threat. He was he was angry, and it, it makes it gets to the point where like, you know you get to a bone point. Yeah, where there's gonna be riots and protests. There's gonna be anger. There's gonna be like the dude in the fitting so You're gonna cry. Like I, I personally haven't got to that point yet because I've kind of taken my taken my steps throughout the day to make sure I, I calm down, I breathe, I meditate, make sure I can process my emotions pro- properly, so that I don't get to a point where I, I lash out and do something that I, I will end up regretting. But yeah, most of our lives we've been taught to suppress that emotion as much as you can. Like whether it's anger, sadness, depression, you can't show that emotion. You're gonna look weak. You're gonna look, you know, in like. You're gonna be you're gonna be just less of a man, I guess. You're gonna be less of a man if you show all this emotion. Like you can't do that. Like you gotta suppress it, move on, take it on the chest, go ahead. That's that's way basically what we're taught most of our lives. Yeah, um, I would definitely say for me, so personally for me, I grew up in a predominantly white school. So growing up, I became numb to a lot of racist actions because I kind of grew up with it. Um, and I'm glad that we're talking about showing our emotions because this is a huge thing for black men and it's very important to learn how to manage them and show them because what I found the problem to be was me growing up numb to everything. I wouldn't speak on things that bothered me. Even if it did bother me, I would kind of just, you know, brush it off and like keep it pushing because one, we're not supposed to look weak. And two, things like this happen every day. So it's like, what do you do? Like, you just keep it pushing. And like growing up as a child, as like eight-year-old, 12-year-old, 14, 17, you see people like me, like other people getting shot. And it's just like, oh. And then it's like, what do you do about that at that age? So growing up, I became very numb to everything. And it wasn't until college, just like you, Marquise, where I kind of learned to... um, live with my emotions and that it's okay to show those and actually there's power in showing those emotions. And then when I did begin to share my emotions with people, then they started saying, Oh, this is bothering him. You know, let me talk to him, like figure out like where he's coming from. Cause he never gets bothered. Um, and that brings a lot of power to the table. And then that leads me to be able to share my story and open up more people's eyes. So I think as black men, if we can get to that point where we can manage, 
Um, like Anthony was talking about, make sure you do things in the morning to figure out how to navigate your emotions and things like that, and then share them in a way that is beneficial, I guess I would say, um, and become very powerful if you do that. Reed, tell the story about when uh, Trayvon died, what happened at school. Oh my goodness, okay. So I actually didn't realize this until a couple weeks ago, which is crazy. So I remember I was 14 and Trayvon got shot the night before I went to school the next day and I hadn't known about it yet. My parents didn't tell me yet. So I went to school and again, I was like one of like maybe two or three black kids in the grade, um, had a whole bunch of white friends. And so everybody else knew but me. So I get to school and you, normally I'm cool with everybody, but this day they were kind of like looking at me, seeing how I was reacting and like not really saying anything, kind of just staying off and just looking. I was like, man, like what's wrong with me? Like, you know? Um, and then I heard the name Trayvon Martin and I heard people laughing. And so I thought it was a joke. And I was like, oh, you know, I like jokes. Hey, what's up? Like, you know, what y'all laughing about? And they're like, oh, you don't know? I was like, no. They're like, oh. And they told me the whole story about what happened to Trayvon Martin while smiling and laughing. In my face, a black man. For some reason, my friends thought that that was okay to tell me that somebody three years older than me at the time just got shot because he was wearing a hoodie. These are my friends, like that's where I grew up. So like I become very numb to these things and it's only until now that I really start to kind of let that light out but yeah um i mean right now as i said before i'll say it again i feel like it's a very interesting time um sometimes feel like i'm caught between a rock and a hard place uh don't really know if you should stop and express uh don't really know if you're supposed to you know keep keep pushing forward you know and 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 keep the positive mindset you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of things that go on through your mind. Um, but specifically at a time like this, um, believe it or not, because awareness is being brought to what is happening to black lives, um, it's even more tense for us. You know, going outside, being outside, moving around in public, like it's even more tense because like everybody's emotions are high. Um so it, it's a very fragile situation to be at the center of um, just on that front in regards to like your safety and, you know, like kind of being okay, like amongst the public. But when you look at the other side of it, there's a whole emotional side to this. Um, and one of the biggest things for black men is the fact that it's very hard for us to be okay with feeling vulnerable. And, and this is a vulnerable spot for us. It's a vulnerable spot for us because we look like the charity case. You know what I'm saying? Like we're the ones getting picked off. And so everybody is looking at us right now. Um, even though, you know, most people are looking at us with love and, and wanting to support. Um, you know, it's almost like tripping and falling in front of your friends. You know, it, it's, a very, it's a very vulnerable moment. Um, you feel exposed. You feel naked. Um, you feel a bit helpless. You you feel like even a little bit uh, more inferior at times. Um, so it's a lot of sadness that goes into it. It's a lot of frustration. Um, I remember like there were several times where I caught myself in, myself in situations where I would just wonder. Um, I feel like one of the biggest and one of the most difficult things for humans is being in a situation that we can't understand because like it breeds frustration. And being frustrated is like very painful. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, it's a different type of pain. It's a different level of pain. And so right now, like I feel like as black men, we're in a situation where like we didn't necessarily bring this on us. So it's frustrating. It's a whole nother level of frustration because we can't even begin to figure out how to relieve the compression and the stress and the pain. Like where do we start? You know what I'm saying? And because it's not, a, a issue that we have directly put in play ourselves. Um, yeah, it, it brings about a whole nother um, consideration to every day that you wake up, uh, where you have to think about what you're doing, you have to think about how you're moving. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
all of these things we are uh we've already adapted to you know what i'm saying we've already this is our norm we've normalized these things seeing black men get shot you know what i'm saying like it's it's a normalized thing and it's unfortunate because we have become desensitized to this think about it like twitter instagram tv news whatever like yo it's nothing you know what i'm saying to see somebody like die on tv like just think about that you're watching somebody die on tv and we all watch this on repeat um so it's a very it's very it's a very difficult spot to be in because i feel like you have to be um willing to be vulnerable in order to even start to be a part of the solution to this problem as a black man because we have had to become very desensitized to these things just to get through life um which brings me full circle back to my thinking every day do i stop and express do i stop and explain do i stop and educate do i continue to push forward like what is the balance you know what i'm saying what is what is the balance because something definitely has to be done but also is you know the biggest question is where do you start when you don't feel like the issue is you you were kind of born into a systemic issue and i i just like to chime in real fast i think thank you all you kings that you just spit nothing but complete facts and the honesty and pure from the heart i want everybody to seriously rewind and go back and listen to that not that everything else in this conversation isn't great but i want you to take that and rewind and listen and see how that can apply to your life because there are going to be uh young black men growing up in this time that unfortunately you know like tyree shared his story when he was eight there are going to be situations where kids are eight and nine years old right now and thinking about george floyd and thinking about what's going on in the country so these are extremely relevant and then i just want to speak extremely quickly from a white man's perspective something that i've heard from a lot of people that are that are white and that are men are oh well this is you know not my generation or this was issues that were uh my ancestors why am i being punished or taken up arms for my ancestors well you know what you are a white man in this time right now and you are seeing things that are going on in the country that you can take action against so while your ancestors may have done things that were horrific years ago you are here right now and you can take action right now and you can change the things that are going on right now so don't just say this is our ancestors problem and it must be our ancestor solution which obviously they can't do crap they're dead um take up your cross take up your actions and to be able to say man we go through a lot of stuff anyways it's just men and women for sure i don't want to you know act like this is just all men have all the problems whatever the case may be but um we go through enough problems as men. Imagine having to add another problem as having to be a black man and how to uh, not only teach your son how to be a man and how to grow up and shave or whatever, but how to drive properly so that when you get pulled over, you're not worried about dying. Uh, that's kind of crazy to me. And I've always thought about that, that, you know, my dad would tell me stories about how to, again, I like the shaving example. Um, you know, he would tell me, oh, here's how you shave, whatever the case may be. I, I can only imagine other fathers having to have conversations with their son about how to stay safe during a traffic stop, how to express emotion in a time that's very difficult right now. So I just challenge you guys to kind of think about that. Uh, think bigger picture and outside of your own brain for once and think that your problems are the end all be all uh, and kind of acknowledge other people's and what they're going through. But thank you all for, for what you just shared. And um, I think that was beautiful. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny you mentioned like the rules because like I, I know that uh, like you know Tyree Perry, Marquise J. We've all we've all gotten our set of rules that we when we were younger. Like you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't approach someone like this, you can't do that. And as kids, we're kind of like, why not? And you, you kind of can't grasp what what why well why can't I do this? But they can do that. And you and I, I remember I told my mom like. Well, they can do that. Why can't I do that? And they were like, my mom's like, no, you're black, honey. You can't. It's not going to look the right way. I remember being a kid. I'm like, what do you mean? That, well, that, doesn't, like, that, that doesn't make any sense. But then you get older and you see stuff. You're like, oh, okay, I understand my mom. Why my mom said that. Well, like, when we all got our license, we all got, like, you know, our parents was like, happy for us. And they're like, all right, here's what you do if a cop pulls you over. And I, I, to be honest, I thought everyone received these rules. I didn't know that like, people that received these rules. I didn't. I really didn't. Like, I thought everyone, like, you received the rules, like, you know, hey, make sure you think you see your hands, don't make any drastic movements, you know, don't, don't try to, you know, be aggressive, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, be very respectful, and just do what you can, to, and if they say to do something, just do it, don't question it, and I, I thought, you know, that was just so, 
normal thing. And I, I didn't know that, like, that was just something that only we got. And when I found it out, I was like, it kind of just, like, disheartens you because it's like you have to live by a whole different set of rules just to survive in a world that should be just equal, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I kind of want to speak, I guess, to the flip side of that as a black woman. Um, I think black women get forgotten in a lot. I now, of course, like black men are first, but I think um, I think people a lot of times forget to comment on the women maybe that stay home on account of mass incarceration with the kids, with all these things, and they have to figure it out and be strong. And so, and so from a black woman's perspective, this whole like, oh, you're so strong thing, it's, it's kind of like a thank you, but I, I wish I didn't need to be type of thing. And granted, I, I've been, I'm a very privileged black woman, so I cannot speak to um, the experience of the the whole or like the most of black women in america um but i can speak to this idea of i was told growing up that i need to be better than the stereotype my dad said that verbatim to me like okay you're black you're hispanic um both of them said that to me um so you cannot get pregnant like they expect this from you so you cannot do so um they're going to hypersexualize you i think i saw a study like as early as four years old um black and brown women are sexualized hypersexualized and it's um it's it's the the stories are just not told as as often and um yeah it's i i can't imagine i don't i mean i don't know you guys speak for yourselves like the white women in this in this group chat like i don't know if you ever had to be told to like okay you need to be better than than the stereotype against you um i doubt it but i don't i don't know you but um that's one of the things on the flip side of the coin um at least for black women is um you're hypersexualized and you, you can't get pregnant and you're strong. And, and the same thing as you were saying, you black men were saying, um, you can't show like emotion or too much emotion because the, the angry black woman, you're that type of thing. Um, yeah. Now you, uh, you made a, you made a good point. Um, in regards to like the things that you said your parents were telling you growing up, Jay, um, because that was a big thing with my parents where anything I did, um, they made sure to let me know. And just as a kid, they made sure to let me know, like, all right, you can't be, you know, just as good as the white kid next to you. You got to be five times better, bro. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it sounds crazy to tell a kid, but like, you know, think about telling a kid that like, yo. I know you're you're putting forth your best and you know they say everybody's a winner but it's actually a lie. <laughs> Think about it like that because that's how our parents had that's you know how brutally honest they had to be with us like bro if you know you're playing ball and you're just as good as the white kid next to you you're going to be on that bench cuz like you got to be five times you got to be LeBron next to him bro. You know what I'm saying just because he's white. And you know so as a kid growing up with these things we grow up in a pressurized culture. You know what I'm saying? So, like, when we get to be adults, like, all we know is pressure. You know what I'm saying? So, it, it, it's unfortunate because, because it's normalized so much, it takes us getting to a point like this where we have to take a step back and we have to look at ourselves and say, oh, God, we've been letting a lot slide. You know what I'm saying? We've been, we've been letting people get off with it a lot. There's a lot that we've been letting slide and we've just been dealing with it. And then we take another step back and say, damn, okay, this is not normal. You know what I'm saying? Like other people, it takes somebody else looking at you and saying like, yeah, you know, I deal with stuff like boom, boom, boom. And they, they say, bro, you, you realize it's not normal. Right. And it's like, what you mean? It's not normal. Nah, bro. Like you shouldn't have to go through boom, boom, boom to do all of that. Like, you know, it should be this simple, but we don't realize those things because, you know, systemically, like we are put into this, this position that we have here. You know what I'm saying? Like things are, things are kind of set almost like a caste system. Um, and so when you think about that, like we're born into it, you know what I'm saying? Like the same way they talk about in textbooks, the caste system. And if you're born a peasant, you might die a peasant. Like those are, those are the times that we're living in right now. You have some people that make it through and some people that slip through the cracks and they're able to change socioeconomic classes, but a lot of us are not. So we're born into these situations and we die with them and they continue to move on through our generation. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that uh, we should definitely take a closer look at because a lot of these things we've been taught um, from very young age regards to 
uh, moving through life with pressure. So. Yo, Perry, I, I really like the fact you brought up that pressure because I feel like that defined how I had to act literally from kindergarten till I graduated from college. Like it's, uh, my parents always told me that I had to hold myself to a higher standard than the people next to me just because one slip up for me puts me five steps back behind if they just had a slip up and they go back a smidge, you know? And I remember I, I've had to have conversations with people in college about that with like, this is why I stopped going out and just getting drunk at bars or whatever. Cause it's like, if you see Marquise drunk at a bar, that, that reputation is done. Every, every, no matter what my resume says, how often you see me in a suit after that and all these other things that I've done at UA, you will always remember that one slip up because of that. And so I, I couldn't afford to have those mistakes. And you're right. That's a real pressurized situation to be in from the get go. Um, and that's, and that makes me give props to my parents and all the black parents who actually taught their kids about that and how you're going to have to hold yourself to a higher standard than the people next to you just because of how you look. You can't afford to have those mistakes. Jay talked about how she's hypersexualized and she can't afford to get pregnant because that's what people expect of her. And that's the sad reality of it. And I, I can't always walk around and joggers and a hoodie even though I may want to because then people are going to put me in a box or the fact that when I walk in with a suit they're like oh you dress nice you really know how to handle yourself and it's like I'm still the same person but they're not used to seeing somebody look like me in positions like that wearing clothes like that you know so now nah, I'm real happy you brought that up I do want to like I guess circle back to I guess we started off like talking about our faith in, in this climate that we're in. Um, I guess I just want to know, like, how, how are you, how are you applying your faith right now? Like, as a, as a black man, as a white woman, in all your experiences, how are you applying it? How are you, or, or, or how are you feeling at it and you feel like you need to do better? Um, that type of thing. Um, that's a good question. Uh, I guess <laughs> I'll go ahead and be the first one to answer. Um, but the way I'm applying my faith right now, honestly, um, I'm not moving by sight. You know, I'm not moving by sight. Uh, I feel like I'm really moving off of faith. And I feel like something that continues to remind me of that is the fact that I'm not afraid to lose anything. Like here, not even my own life. You know what I'm saying? The physical sense. Like, yo, I'm not really afraid to lose any of it. You know, um, I know like I have a purpose. I'm here to get that done. And whatever I have to sacrifice in the physical sense to get that done, I'm willing to do that. But I do understand like my anchor is my spirituality. Um, the way I operate is on a spiritual realm. I don't operate by worldly guidelines. I'm not governed by worldly guidelines. I operate on a spiritual realm. And so with that being the case, to me, possessions, valuables, all of it's out the window. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't. You know what I'm saying? I'm not really attached to it because like I'm more so attached to like my spirituality. And as long as I stay attached to that, all of these other physical things, they'll come and go. But I understand like that is my GPS. And so like faith wise, like that's where I am right now, where it's like strictly spiritual realm and like this hoodie, this room, this apartment, like it doesn't really exist to me and it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Um, and so that's how I move. You know what I'm saying? That's that's kind of where I am spiritually. I know I just said chat, but Perry, you're inspiring. Like, thanks for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say to kind of to bounce off of that. Um, a lot of people like, and I mean, I I believe this too. Like, this is just the beginning of of all of the change and discussions and and just stuff that's going to happen with this. Like, I think we touched on this at some point, but this is, I don't even know if we're going to see this, this change, like in our lifetime, this is really like the beginning of something that has needed to happen for a long time. And I think how our faith plays into that is kind of like what Perry was just saying. It's not I think a lot of people get caught up in like, well, what will, what will it look like if I make a stand? What will I lose? What do I have to gain? What do I have to lose? But in all honesty, like it does not matter because I mean, we're 
our lives in the grand scheme of things are like a blink of an eye. And we, we get the amazing privilege of, of being able to accept Jesus Christ as our savior and to live forever with him after this life. And the biggest thing that I think like how this ties in with faith, at least for me personally, is like, I mean, if I'm really here in the grand scheme of things for the blink of an eye, like, what do I have to lose? Because I want to make this something that my kids and my kids' kids and my kids' kids' kids keep fighting for, because this is just the beginning. And that's honestly like, for me, that's kind of a beautiful part. I wouldn't want, I don't know if I'd want to like it all to happen like that. Like, I want this to be big and to be a big change that's needed to happen for a long time. So I think like kind of how our faith ties into that is if nothing, if none of these worldly possessions matter, then what do we have to lose? Like, why not stand up and, and talk about it and fight for it? I think Gabby makes a great point with that about kids, kids, kids. And I know this is bigger picture and this is like 30, 40 years down the line, but who knows really? I mean, some, you know, kids that are our age are getting married now. Um, but keep the same energy with your kids. I challenge everybody, even, you know, and I'm more or less speaking to obviously my white friends. Don't just be this millennial that's like, oh, I'm going to inspire change just because I'm young and I'm, you know, going more liberal and whatever the case may be. I'm going to be part of the wave. If you're going to be on this, you're going to teach your kids the right things. You're going to bring your kids up the right way. You're going to bring your kids up to love and believe in equality. You're going to have your kids continue the fight. You're not going to let this die with you or let this stop with your youth or stop with the movement or stop with the um, convenient time, so to speak. Um, keep this with your generations. Keep this with your family, with your household, with your last name. Make this something that is going to be your lasting legacy, equality, love. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think just Gabby brings up a phenomenal point with that. Well, and side note, sorry, I don't want to talk too much, but you just like made uh -uh. no, get it, get um, it. No, so. And I think part of that, that I wish, um, and I mean, granted, like I went to high school with Tyree and um, Anthony so, and Ryan, so they can kind of speak to this too, but like we were in a mostly white high school. And I know one thing that is something so little, but I think could make like a world of difference is as like a white family and just having conversations with your children growing up about the conversations that black parents have to have with their black children. Because at least for me, like, I was embarrassed that I grew up with these guys as like two of my older brothers and best friends. And I was almost like embarrassed that I didn't really recognize all of the struggle that they had gone through. And I think that's like, I mean, it called me out, like, and they, they don't judge me. They love me the same, you know, but it calls you out to say, no, you know, like we need to, we need to make an effort to recognize that and to teach our children, like, Hey, like even Ryan was saying earlier, Hey, you know, like your dad might teach you how to shave, but here's what Anthony's teaching his son right now. Here's what Tyree's talking to about like with his kids, you know? And I think that's super important. I think it's kind of funny you mentioned that because like, I guess the reason why my, my, why most black guys or black people don't share their white friends as much as like I struggle is because we've all had gone through a moment where we've felt like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share to tell them what like, we go through and then it gets downplayed. Like, but yeah, bro, um, I really don't like the cops or, you know, I feel like, you know, I feel really threatened. And they're like, no, they're, why would you feel threatened? They're here to protect us. You know, you shouldn't feel threatened. That's, you're just making that up. It's in your head. Da, 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 da. Like, you, you get like, you, you've had, we all have moments where we just like had our struggle downplayed so much. It's like, you know, I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm just, I'm just going to bring it up because they're just going to downplay it. They're not going to understand. They're not going to try to understand. And you just get to moments like, like what Tyree said with the story of Trayvon Martin, like if, even if Tyree sat there and tried to, explaining them why it made them upset. They're probably like, it's just a joke. It's just a joke. Like, why are you getting so upset? It's just a joke. And we get we get told stuff like that, like, it's just a joke. You're, over, you're overthinking it. Like, it's just, I don't know. That, that's the main, re, main reason why a lot of black people don't, I guess, before this, before this time period where this is becoming, like, a big thing, I guess that's why we don't really 
express the issues or the struggles of white people because we feel like you guys aren't going to care. They're not going to care. Nothing's going to change. They're not going to. They're not going to really think about it. My oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you guys go through that, whatever, and then they're going to move on with their life. They're not. It's not going to affect them, so they're not going to care. That's a phenomenal point, and that's why I'm glad that this whole change is starting with conversation because it sparks in everybody's minds like, oh shoot, there actually is disparities. Oh shoot, there actually is. Uh, different conversations that need to be had and held because I think to some extent and what I love about everybody in this chat is um, not that you can't really fault people that haven't been exposed to that stuff but like to some extent they haven't been exposed I mean there have been some people that have just lived in a certain community that has been like this and they are in a little snow globe that's the best way to honestly think about it like imagine you're like a Christmas snow globe you don't know that you know Halloween exists um, so they're just certain things that people grow up with in their own little communities, their own little worlds that they are not, I don't want to say intelligent enough, but they're not bigger pictured enough to see and envision and uh, get a flavor of and a sense of. Uh, and I want to give a quick little plug. And I guess guys, you cool if we do an outro um, it's less than a minute. Go ahead. Is that yeah. all good? Um, so I, I want everybody to tune into this. And I swear it's not like a plug for myself. It's for the, the same reason the podcast I started a podcast called Brother from Another Mother and it includes some of my closest black friends and I even want like Marquise and Perry and everybody else to join in on this as well. But it's like we'll do more deep dives into personal stories that people have felt uh, and I want everybody to go check out episode one with Tyree and I and discussing those things and it kind of gets into those like personal stories uh, of like being black in like my community and like how I might not have seen the stories that like happened. Like the Trayvon story, for example, I went to the school and was friends with those same kids didn't know that ever happened. Didn't know that existed. Um, and that's like Gabby said, and that was a beautiful point. That sucks. And that shame on us and makes us feel like, oh my gosh, these are our closest friends that we didn't even know this existed with. Um, so I challenge you guys to listen to that. Here's the outro. I love everybody in this. Uh, God is in this chat. God is in this movement. Um, hold on to it. Hold on to him. Uh, let him direct your thoughts and be a light into your path uh, and bring unity and equality to this country once and for all. Um, and it's not going to happen overnight, like little baby said in his new song, but it is going to happen. Uh, and I'm sorry, I had to, man. I love bigger, <laughs> I love bigger picture. Go stream hey, it on yo. Spotify right oh now. Oh my gosh. I love it. I, I have, that's a good I have, song. I don't fault you. That, that's, that's a good song. I it, is fire. it is fire. Lil baby took over Kendrick with that, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't know about that now. Pause, pause. That, yeah, in the episode, yeah, that, that can't be in the episode. We got to cut that. That's blasphemous. I'm sorry. <laughs> Here we have our conversation. Thank you, everyone, for listening.